All right, so we're in Ephesians 4. If you turn to Ephesians 4 with me this morning. We started a series on generosity of God last, uh, last fall, and we looked at the generosity of God in terms of your treasures last fall. And this, week, uh, this uh, semester, we're looking at the generosity of God and the freedom to live generously with your time and your talents. If you're a, a child with us and you want to take little notes, you're listening for a certain word. The word of the day would be purpose. You can uh, write down maturity as well if you want to. Purpose. All right, we're going to look at Ephesians 4. We're going to read verse 7 through verse 16. Let's read together. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he may fill all things. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, amazing reality that you, sovereign over the universe, sovereign over us, in a world that is starving for truth and creating it from within themselves, have revealed yourselves. You revealed yourself through your word and give us a way to know you and not just to know you, but to experience you and to believe the gospel that we can through the work of your son Jesus and not our own good works have a relationship with you. We pray, Father, that you would empower us this morning that I preach and we hear the gospel once again, talk about how we live on purpose, that you would, Holy Spirit, please allow us to get it, be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of you remember the, um, the movie, from the 90s, Mr. Holland's Opus. Remember that? I remember pretty vividly because in, um, I was in high school. And in high school, I was, um, uh, I was the shortest one in my class by far. I mean, of hundreds of people. Had not hit my growth spurt, if this is even what you call a growth spurt. <laughs> um, but but I, um, 
I, I went on a date uh, and took a girl to see this movie. She was the center of the, the, the school basketball team. She was not short. <laughs> so needless to say, the entertainment began way before we got to the movie. It was, uh, it was a little embarrassing. But it was a powerful movie. You've seen it. Glenn Holland had big dreams of being an aspiring musician. His life purpose was to compose a great symphony on a large scale. It would be his opus. But life didn't work out that way. He, he um, lacked the gifts. He became a, a, a small music teacher at a school that didn't value the music program. He poured his life into these students day in and day out. And what he seemingly, what he thought was just a pretty insignificant role. The budget was finally cut 30 uh, years, some odd years later, many years later. Mr. Holland was forced to retire. In the last scene, it shows him leaving this empty classroom. His, his, um, it, it just seems like his life had been lived without purpose. And uh, never created this great opus, this composition. and given his life to a role that, as a music teacher that just seemed insignificant. I think all of us can relate to this desire to live life with purpose. To have what we do in our roles... Uh, be significant. I can remember in college that I was, um, I had just become a Christian a few year, years earlier and I went to this, um, this conference and the speaker finished his, his talk with that example or the, the history um, story that you probably know. It's a famous story of Hernando Cortez. He arrives in Mexico with just a few hundred men. He's up against thousands of Indians and and his men want to turn back, and he he has somebody go back to the to the shore, and he says, in the famous message, he says, "Burn the ships." He said, well, "This is our purpose, and we're going to fulfill it." And man, I was ready to run out of that conference, like, "Here I am, you know, live with purpose." And then I was like, "What now? <laughs> you know, what does that mean for me now?" Matt preached last week how every one of us is called to a particular ministry role. He said something like, every Christian has been given at least one role. Uh, No Christian has been given zero roles or something like that. (laughs) Um, The point is, everyone has a part to play. And I think somewhat we we, we somewhat get this. If you're a Christian, especially, you kind of get this. We gave out these cards in the bulletin and... Uh, 70, about 75% of you marked that you know your ministry role. 64% of you said you feel like you're living within your ministry role. The question is this morning, though, is not whether you have a part. It's what is the purpose of that role? If you were asked this morning, what is the purpose of the end goal of your ministry role, what would you say? When we um, had our sermon discussion in my life group last Tuesday, it's one of the questions that came up. And they said it's, it's easy to kind of identify, okay, if you work for Campus Crusade, that that's your ministry role, or you're, you're a deacon or an elder in the church, that's your ministry role, or you're serving at ESL, that's your ministry role. But what if, about me? I'm just going to work every day. Is, is doing my best at work a ministry role? I'm, I'm at home with the kids. I mean, is, that, is that a ministry role? What is that? What does it look like? What defines it as a ministry role? And I think Paul answers some of those questions and tells us how we can live with purpose within our ministry role. So we're going to look at the purpose, uh, two things, the purpose of your ministry role and then the significance 
of your ministry role. So let's look first at the purpose. It's not hard to find this in the passage. Verse 11, Paul begins with, he's saying, look, you have a ministry role. Um, for He says, pastors and teachers are here not to do the work of ministry, but to equip you, he says in verse 11, for the work of ministry. It breaks down that old secular, sacred secular division where people think, okay, you pay the pastors to do the work of ministry. No, it's everybody. As, as one church I uh, read, they put in their bulletin, they were describing, you know, they're putting the staff and it said, it listed pastor and then put his name, put assistant pastor, then it put his name and then it said ministers, colon. And it said the entire congregation. This is a good way of describing what's going on in this verse. So he says, everyone has a ministry role, but what's the purpose? And Paul launches into that. He says it in so many ways, the same thing. Look at 12, verse 12. He says, it's for the building up of the body of Christ. 13, attaining to mature manhood, to the fullness of Christ. 15, so that we all grow up in Christ. Verse 16, so that the body grows, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. You see it? Then take one of our NASA uh, scientists to see that the purpose of your God-given ministry role is that others mature, grow to maturity in Christ. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Two things we'll look at. Number one, it assumes, Paul, Paul assumes that we're not fully mature yet. We're not fully mature. You know, this is easy to see with our children, with children in general, right? Immaturity is pretty easy to see. We see it all the time. I was thinking about immaturity this week and, and um, thinking about some of my immaturity as a child. Um, you know, one time, so my, my sister, um, whom I dearly love, Okay, let me just get that out of the way. Um, she, would, she was watching something on TV and she wouldn't change the channel. And for whatever reason, she wouldn't change the channel. And I got so mad at her. I was on the other side of the room. I actually picked up a chair and I flung it across the room at her because she wouldn't change the channel. That's a big deal though, right? <laughs> One, another time I was mad at her in, like, in the car. And I, again, I couldn't remember why, but I just, well, I was mad, but I just decided, I, you know, I pulled out this wad of gum and just put it in her hair. And then just... <sighs> totally justified, right? <laughs> I, I have matured a little bit since then. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I can't imagine a situation now. It's like, you know, Miriam's like, honey, I really want to watch this today. And they're like, I don't want to watch this. You know, I grab a chair, you know, like... <laughs> you know, like... You know, we mature a little bit, but parents, we, you know, we see that our role is to help our kids grow to maturity. The assumption here is that the body of Christ is not yet mature. It's not yet what it should be in Christ. And it starts to describe that in verse 13. He says, what's the, if you look at, just look at the measure of the stature of that we're supposed to grow to. Do any of you have those measuring sticks in your homes that, you know, you, you get against the wall and you're like, oh, look, you've grown a centimeter. You know, like you mark it and it's basically colored the wall. You know, you have a measuring stick of growth, of maturity. And, and Paul says, you want to know what the, 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 the measuring stick is? He says, the measure of the stature, he says, of the fullness of Christ. So that, that's the measuring stick. That word maturity, when he says the, to mature to that, it's a word to be whole or complete. 
It's a picture of the fullness of Christ means to be all you were meant to be as a human being, human flourishing. Some of us use the children's catechism with our children. I love one of the questions. I refer to it often in our home uh, when it says, what, in what condition did God create Adam and Eve, that our, first, our parents, our first humans before sin? It says, he created them to be holy and happy. Holy and happy. And we tell our children that sometimes. Don't do that. It's, it's not going to make you holy and happy. Well, look, I haven't thrown a chair lately out of anger. <laughs> but... I have held grudges recently. I have found it hard to forgive recently. I I haven't been kind and tender-hearted, as Paul says later in this chapter recently. I've I've exaggerated myself to make myself, or exaggerated stories to make myself look better. In pride, I've had such lofty thoughts. I haven't been patient with my um, my children recently. I have not loved my wife as I should, like Christ loves the church recently. I've had loves in life that that have competed with my love for God recently. I'm still so immature. I'm still so incomplete, not totally full in Christ. And imagine if you were honest, you, you might say, the same thing, that you're not totally what you were created to be, holy and happy. Your friends aren't that way either. Your family is not. Your life group is not. The person next to you is not what they're meant to be. They're immature. You can turn to them right now and just say, you are immature. No, don't do that. <laughs> Might get in trouble. But do you, you, you relate with that. You're not what we're totally meant to be yet. That's the assumption, one, number one assumption of the text. But number two, it says you are given a ministry role or roles to help each other, those we mentioned, grow to maturity. Verse 12 and 16 say this. They say you're to build them up. It's a construction term, to increase the potential of something, to make it more able, make it complete. Imagine moving into a home and or a house that's incomplete. Half the walls aren't painted. Half the light switches don't work. Um, you know, half the, the bathrooms don't work. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sit down on the couch, flip on the TV and be like, sweet, you know. No, you'd get to work to build it up, to complete what was lacking. The point is we have a calling to live with a certain discontentment with the lack of completeness or maturity in the body of Christ with those around you. It's the same discontentment if somebody at Starbucks this morning, you rolled up, you pay $4, and they gave you a third cup of that good coffee. You'd feel a little discontentment, right? If you went to a steak restaurant this weekend and they bring out three ounces of your eight-ounce steak, you'd feel a certain discontentment with the lack of fullness of the plate. It's the same we should feel constantly for each other. And here's the thing, God has given you, no one in here excluded that is in Christ, at least one, but probably several ministry roles to see those people, those, those places or causes around you that are incomplete, not what they are meant to be, move towards maturity, towards completion, towards com- fullness in Christ, that measure. To the Philippians, Paul said it like this, to know 
Christ and the power of his resurrection to share in his sufferings and to become like him in his death. He said earlier in Ephesians, he says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says in here in verse 13, till we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the fullness of Christ. To see others holy and happy in Christ. This is the purpose of your ministry role. In verse 16 it says that this only happens as each of us are ready to engage our ministry role that God has given us. When It says when each part is working properly. Not when 64% are working properly, but when 100% of us are working properly, this will happen. It's just like the human body, right? Each part has got to work together. Each part's got to work properly for maturity. All the organs have to work. You know, all the, everything's got to work together for it to grow physically. Now, some of you are saying like, I got my gallbladder out three years ago and I'm doing fine. Give me a break. It's just an illustration, right? <laughs> Um, so you may be saying, well, where where might this be? I mean, you know, where where is my ministry role? So today, last week we looked at ministry part. You have a part. This week is really focused on the purpose. Next week, Matt's going to preach on the ministry uh, place, where that is. So hold that question. But the body illustration is at least helpful for you to get this today. That I looked on Google how many body parts we actually have, and Google doesn't lie, so I'm sure this is truthful. And it says we have, like, over, besides the obvious ones, over 200, over 200 bones. We have 600 muscles, 40,000 enzymes, millions of neurons, and billions of interconnections, not counting the, all the parts that we don't really know about yet. So how many min- different ministry roles might there be in the body? I think the answer might be similar. Much more than the, you know, 18 or 19 gifts that are found in those lists. So many different ways that God has uniquely made you and placed you within the body. I just uh, just think of just ever, just think of everything that went into this Sunday morning worship service. Somebody had to clean up from last week's service. Somebody had to open the doors and cl- and turn on the lights. Somebody's driving the golf cart for those who need help from the parking lot. Somebody is in the parking lot, parking lot team to help people get into the service find a spot and, and welcome them. We have a welcome team welcoming you as you come by, encouraging you. Somebody's handing out bulletins. Somebody picked up the offering. Some people are, are using their gift to, to play an instrument. One person's preaching. Some of you will stand out in the hall in the foyer after church and listen to somebody who is really struggling. Some of you will call someone you notice what wasn't here and say, we missed you today. So many different ministry roles that even go into worship on a Sunday morning, all working together so that the church body can arrive today and be brought into the presence of God and be encouraged and, and built up and hopefully a, a little bit, just a little bit more full in Christ as you and your part were working properly. So look around you, where you worship, also where you work and where you play and where you live. Who are the people and the causes that aren't complete, aren't mature in Christ and live with purpose there? Live with the intentions of having a spiritual impact this week on them so that they come to know mature in Christ. It means parents. We don't just, we don't just parent our children, right? Just, to, just our, hope, our only hope is just to keep them alive. 
Although sometimes Miriam and I think that's a successful day. <laughs> I mean, high five and hallelujah chorus, right? But if we got to the end of a year and said, that's the only thing we accomplish, good, but that's incomplete. Don't we want our kids to know Christ and be built up in them a little bit more? In our friendships or at work, to not just go to work, right? But you feel like there's God has a purpose for me. My coworkers, somehow, God, will you, will you please allow me to, just, just praying for them to know Christ. How can I help them know Christ? and mature in all that he created them to be, holy and happy. Or at school, to not just go to school and work hard. Yes, that's part of your role. But to look around, how can I live with an intentional spiritual impact here at school, at UPC? Lots of opportunities. We're going to be talking more about them next week. But we were talking about living with an intentional spiritual impact um, this week at, in our life group. And one of, our, um, one of the guys in our life group, a young guy, um, was just, you know, he's got a beard, Zach, you know, he's just kind of rubbing it. He said, reminds me, reminds me of this quote. We're like, oh, okay. He said, um, he said, a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are built for. We looked at him like sage over there, you know, <laughs> wow. They nailed it though, right? I mean, don't you feel like that? Ships, I mean, you get that ships, you know, it's safe in the harbor, but it's not what it's meant for. And so were you and I meant to live on purpose. And most of us won't find ministry roles in all of these areas, but God, you know, allow God to direct you to specific people and places and causes where he is calling you to live intentionally, to play your part so others can grow to maturity in Christ. That's our purpose of our ministry role. All right, what's the significance of our ministry role? The significance. So Paul is into a train of thought He starts his train of thought back in verse 7 when he says, look, uh, each of us have received grace of God for purpose. But all of a sudden, it's like his mind gets caught up. It's like he's walking among the trees in a forest, you know, and all of a sudden he's lifted up to see the forest as a whole. He says, whoa, there's a big significance, big picture behind you using your ministry, playing a part in your ministry role. And it's often... Important for us to see the big picture, the larger significance of what's going on. Pastor um, uh, BJ down at our Lake Nona campus, he told the story. He told me a story this week. We were talking about a sermon. He said, he said it reminds me of my parents went to the uh, 1993 Super Bowl. Michael Jackson was doing the halftime show. And he said, it was just already awesome. His parents were telling this. And uh, then all of a sudden he said, pull out the card below you. And they pull out this single color card. I said, raise it up. And he said, they were thinking like, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm, I've got this blue card, and I'm just, okay, raise it above my head. And they, all they were staring at is a single color card, right? But of course, you know, if, if, you, if you, you, you were watching on TV or looking on the other side of the stadium, you could see the big picture. As, as the, uh, the choir sang, we are the world, the camera zooms out, you can see thousands and thousands of these single color cards formed pictures of children of different ethnicities holding hands. Parents says, pretty powerful. Seeing the big picture brought purpose to them into fulfilling that role. It's not an uncommon struggle, I think, for many of us to, to get lost in the forest and, and, and feel like, okay, I'm holding this blue color card, and that's all I can see. We feel like the most significant thing we did was to get to work on time, to 
get the kids their sporting events, to do our homework, to pay the bills, build up the, the body of Christ, barely keeping it together. I, I don't feel like what I'm doing is very significant. So let's look at the big picture for a moment, as Paul directs us in this whole passage to do. Hopefully it will bring this into view. Paul mentions in verse 7 about Christ's gift. And it reminds him of a psalm, Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, he says Christ is the fulfillment of that. And he says, quoting in in verse um, 8, he says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Psalm 68 was the picture of a king returning from defeating all of his enemies and leading them in captivity back from battle. And he's full of bounty or gifts and he's bestowing it upon all the people. And Paul says, look, this is so much bigger than you can imagine. Jesus is this universal king. And he says, look, before you talk about your gifts and start thinking about that, remember that before Jesus ascended, he also descended into the lower parts. And what he's starting to paint for us is the gospel. And this is important for us to see. He says this, he paints this picture, he said, look, God so loved you and I that even while we were captives of our sin, we, we weren't interested in a ministry role. We wanted nothing to do with him. That's who we are in our sinful being. We only cared about our own purposes. We failed to fulfill what he has given us to do. Even in that state, the son of God, the king, deserving all glory, was humiliated and allowed himself to be conquered by execution, killed in the first century. And then three days later, he who descended, Paul says he also ascended with incredible power, thus guaranteeing those those who receive him this gift, this free gift, would be victorious in him, united to his victory. And look, here's the note, that that you can use your gifts. Lots of people, lots of non-Christians are using their gift. They're doing all kinds of good things in social work. But you're not going to ever use your gifts for anything eternally significant without getting this. Until you have embraced this gift of Christ, crucified and resurrected, descended and ascended for you, this is your first purpose in life. You remember in John 6 when the Pharisees said, said what is the work you want us to God, God to do? What, is, what do you want us to do, Jesus? Send us to work. And Jesus said, this is the work that I want you to do. Your primary work is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And how easy is it for us to miss this as Christians? We're ready to go do something for Jesus, to go work for him. How easy is it for us to think that by fulfilling our ministry roles, we're actually earning our way to God? And God loves you more because you did this. Let us not miss that it is not by, we don't ascend to God by our good works, right? Jesus ascended for us. And through his dissension, we are forgiven of all our sins and made right with him. And it's all by his free gift, he says. This is his gift. And, and, and if you haven't, if you don't know about this, if you're sitting here saying, I'm, I'm not a Christian, you're talking about ministry roles, what are you talking about? This is what we want you to go away with today. Would you receive this gift? You receive it by faith alone. You simply ask for it. You could do it in your seat right now. You just ask for it. It is a free gift. And you are right with God and loved by him forever and part of his victory in Christ into all of eternity. And you share in his fullness.
Paul was writing this, this huge news to, some, to just a few Christians in Ephesus, a city of 250,000 people who started to, they, a few people who started to believe this at great cost themselves. They were normal working class people, moms and dads and, and businessmen and women. And they lived in a polytheistic culture where everyone worshipped the great goddess Artemis. They, they had the temple dedicated to her. And Paul tells them in verse 10, this is, look at the significance of this. He says, this is, this is so much bigger than you. When he ascended, he ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And what he's saying is like, look, you're tempted to look at and think that Claudius is, is king or Nero is the great emperor. It looks like Rome is the lasting kingdom. Nope. Jesus, who died about 30 years earlier, he is the ultimate king. He's going to fill all things. You are becoming a part of something so big. He's reclaiming all that was ruined by the curse and destroyed in your life because of sin. He's making right. He's bringing you under his authority and his reign and his rule. This is his mission. He's going to build his kingdom. He's going to build his church. How? Then he gets to verse 12 and 13 through 16. He gave you gifts, grace. He gave you ministry roles. You're going to be something, a part of something so much bigger than yourself. You think you're just holding up a card. You're wrong. There's an amazing picture in Acts 19 where this silversmith named Demetrius, he catches wind of this. And it's amazing because this is nothing, this is not a huge, massive movement at this time yet. Right? It hadn't spread worldwide. All of a sudden, this, this silversmith in the city of 250,000 people, it's, it's written in Acts 9 that he's making shrines to this god Artemis, and he gets it. He speaks, he stands up in this huge arena to lots of people, and he says, look, there's danger not only of us losing our jobs, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be dispossessed, deposed of her magnificence. She whom all of Asia and the world worship. He got it. He sensed the great goddess who the whole world is is worshiping may be deposed of her magnificence by this Jesus. This is bigger than us. No first century religion. This was God's central act of redemptive history. Artemis and Rome would fall other kingdoms would come and go, but God will do build his kingdom and he will do it through each of them and each of us. Properly working, simply living intentionally for spiritual impact where we worship, work, and live and play. So why? What happens to us when we get this? What, sh- what should we do with this? What, when we catch a glimpse of this big picture, I think number one, it should, it should make some of us really take inventory of how we spend our time and our effort, right? Are we a ship safely in harbor? Are we using our time or effort just to build up our kingdom and safely just live safe, guard our kingdom, and then go to heaven one day? Are, are we building our kingdom? Sometimes I feel like that. Like I point people to want to look at me and notice me and trust in me or depend upon me. We need to repent of those things. That's not what we were created for. But it also should encourage those of us, those, those of us who feel like my role is so insignificant, it's so in, I'm, I'm so inadequate. 
My role is so small that, that this, everything you do, no matter how small, how insignificant, is so purposeful, it's so significant. Think of David in 1 Samuel 17. He arrives at the battle lines, just that he'd been keeping the sheep, and he, he arrives to give the, um, gives his brother some food, and his brothers look at him with anger, and they say, why have you come down here? Why did you leave and tend your, or who did you leave to tend your few little sheep in the wilderness? You go, you know, run back to your little insignificant role as the sheep herder. <laughs> they didn't see the big picture, did they? Uh, and think of Joseph. What he saw is his ministry role in the pit, in prison. And some of us who are suffering, you think, that's, I mean, that's all I got right now is to make it through the day. And you have no idea. Somebody who was suffering came to our session meeting a couple of weeks ago and encouraged. He built us up so much. And all he did was share about how hard things are right now. And some of you are filling a ministry role there. And you can live intentionally. The comfort others with the comfort with which you have received. You might think of Lois and Eunice. And you're thinking, who? In the book of Second Timothy, this was Timothy's um, grandmother and, and mother, and and all they did was share little, with little Timmy, you know, share in family devotions, probably often, you know, chaotic and like ours, and modeling the faith, and had no idea how significant it was, how, who Timothy would be, and that their work would be recorded for billions of people to read. In the Bible, you might relate with one of our Sunday school teachers who I heard about, heard a couple times, who taught years ago in a lower grade um, for years and uh, had feelings that it was insignificant compared to other roles. And I was told of how it was obvious to everyone else just how significant the impact of her ministry in that in that lower grade was to our church. Your Fulfilling your ministry role, doing your part is so significant, however small that is. You know, Mr. Holland sure felt this in the movie. He Sure, he could say, I encourage this football player to continue on through music. Sure, I encouraged and I listened to this grade school girl with red hair and pigtails um, through learning the clarinet. But... What was the purpose of my small role at this small high school throughout all these years? And now I'm retiring accomplished without accomplishing the significant composition I always wanted to do. Great opus. In the last scene, Mr. Holland is walking through the halls this last time and he hears this music in the auditorium. He, he's interested in it. He said, what's going on in there? He walks into this auditorium and it is packed full of hundreds of Students and alumni, and they're all chanting his name, Mr. Holland, Mr. Holland, Mr. Holland. And the, the, the red-headed, pigtailed girl had grown up, and she had actually become the governor of the state, and she steps to the stage. She says this, she says, Mr. Holland, we know that you've never became the famous composer you dreamed of being, but don't you see it today? Your great composition is what you did with us, your students. Mr. Holland, look around you. We are your great opus. We are the music of your life. So you and I have no idea 
no idea how God is using you and I in the seemingly insignificant ministry roles that we are giving our lives to. No matter how, what part it is, no, how, no matter how insignificant it seems, the encouragement is to live with purpose. Give yourself to the purpose in the midst of everyday life, of struggles, of suffering, of raising children, of going to school, and all of that in the midst of everyday life, to live with purpose where you worship, work, and live and play. What can I do there to have a spiritual impact on the people around me? What can you do to help your children, your coworkers, and friends, your church and neighbors grow to maturity in Christ, to better know Him and experience the fullness of Christ and the good news of the gospel? Let's go from here and live with that purpose. Let this end be the great opus of our lives. Let me pray. God, we do pray that there would be a healthy rebuke of the ways we have mishandled the grace given to us. The good news of repentance is, though, that as we confess our sins, we turn not only away from sin, but to Christ. Remember that we are already victorious in Him and that we're not accepted by our successes or failures or moral performance in the fulfilling of our ministry roles, but, but through the work of Jesus. And that is so empowering for us to live with purpose now. And we pray, Lord, you would fulfill every good work that we engage in our ministry roles. And you would make it significant to the building of your kingdom. We pray that you would get all the glory from it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.